Okay, welcome to Elmo's World Podcast. This is Elmo Ador Jr., your host. And uh, it's awesome to have Tom Jump here. He is 31 years old. He's from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and he is a full-time YouTuber. His, his YouTube's name is T-Jump. Uh, search it out in YouTube. And he guests uh, cosmologists, scientists, uh, politicians, or people who love politics, uh, flat earth scientists, uh, science uh, people. And um, I hope that uh, he could share his accumulated knowledge from t- talking to all these people and also from his own personal studies. So, Mr. Tom Jump, uh, it's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on. I really appreciate the uh, invite. So, um, I, I want to jump, just jump in and ask you this question. So, um, being a, a full-time YouTuber and meeting all these people, uh, it would I would assume that you have become uh, an atheist. Uh, yeah, I actually started as an atheist. I was an atheist before I started my YouTube channel. I converted. I was brought up a Christian in, by my parents, and I went to Christian and Catholic schools through grade school and high school. But I eventually lost my faith sometime in high school because none of my prayers were ever answered and became an uh, atheist then. And it was only several years later after I started to research the philosophy behind it that I realized I was adopted the label of an atheist because I didn't actually know anything about it at the time. And it was from watching like the Four Horsemen, Hitchens, Harris, Dawkins, and Dennett, those guys, the big, the new atheists, watching their arguments and really relating to the position that they had is how I identified with the atheist label. And... Uh, I think it was actually a few years after that that I started my YouTube channel when I started to really start doing debates on the topic. Out of the four, who 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 was the one that really connected to you? That that the one whose views are were really much more influential compared to the other three. I'm not sure. I think that each of them had important ideas in different contexts. Like for example, Richard Dawkins and his ideas of re- evolution were definitely really important. But so were Sam Harris's view on free will and morality, um, and then Dan Dennett's view on philosophy was really interesting, and then Christopher Hitchens was the most eloquent of the three, and that his debating style, I think, had the most impact on me rather than his arguments. So um, I just want to ask you then, um, uh, right now, uh, why do you think there's no God? There's no God. Uh, well, there's one, there's no evidence to indicate the existence of a God, but you have to start with, like, for any explanation of a hypothesis, like what knocked over that cup over there, uh, you have there's infinitely many ways we can come up with explanations. Like maybe it was the wind, maybe it was a squirrel, maybe it was a bird, maybe somebody knocked the table, um, maybe it was invisible aliens or leprechauns or a god. There's just infinitely many ways you can explain how the cup fell over or any phenomenon. And so we need some way to differentiate the real hypotheses from the imaginary ones. And that methodology is science, of so future testable predictions. You could say that if my hypothesis that a rat knocked over the cup is true, well, then we'll be able to look at the cup and see like little rat bite marks and little like rat droppings around the cup. And if we then look at the cup and discover that these are there, that's good evidence that my hypothesis is true and that all the, all the other hypotheses are false because I could predict something that none of the other ones did. So this method of novel testable predictions gives us a way to filter out the imaginary hypotheses and indicate the ones that are real. So we apply this methodology in science to say that you come up with a hypothesis that God created the universe or God did whatever, the created morality or did rose Jesus from the dead or any of those things. If we want to verify that those are the real explanations, not the imaginary ones, then you have to hold it to the exact same standard and say, it needs to be able to make novel testable predictions just like any scientific theory. Otherwise, it has no way to show it's not just imaginary like any of the other things we can come up with like leprechauns or unicorns or aliens. And so the reason I'm an atheist is because religion can't provide any novel testable predictions. It's just giving you imaginary explanations for things. Like I can explain the cup fell over because there are magical pixies that push the cup over, but that explanation doesn't give me a 
a testable prediction that I can use to verify it's not imaginary, as opposed to the rat one, which I definitely does. And so all of the explanations of everything in the world have been explained by natural explanations. Natural, natural explanations are the ones that come up with the novel testable predictions that can show they're not imaginary. And theistic and supernatural explanations have never been able to accomplish that ever in human history. And so that's a pretty good reason to conclude that they aren't real and they are just imaginary things. And so I go with the science for explaining everything because science is the only thing that really does explain anything and shows it's not imaginary. Uh, with, with a few exceptions like math and logic, just conceptual knowledge, but not stuff specifically about the world. I guess that uh, you're, you're using the sufficiency of the evidence uh, uh, limited to you to, to deductively uh, rationalize that there is no God that designed this universe because it came out of... Uh, naturalistic processes, right? Well, not deductively, it's inductively. All science is inductive. But yeah, we're looking at the evidence. Uh, there are lots of different ways to explain the evidence. Maybe it was a god, maybe it was a natural thing, maybe it was scientific, maybe it was a magical pixie. And the only explanation that has good evidence behind it is the natural ones, the multiverse, the mini-worlds, Copenhagen interpretation, physics. Physics explains things and makes testable predictions, but God doesn't. And so physics is a better explanation to go with to explain the universe mm -hmm. than a so God. um so that that would mean that um uh, any any conclusion to a God that created the universe is simply adhering to the God of gaps right essentially yeah like any argument that you want to say God exists you can't just make an argument you have to then go out and add evidence to it so one second <laughs> so if you have a I think God created the universe theory, that's your hypothesis. You'd have to then go one step further and say, if this hypothesis is true, what kind of predictions can I make with the hypothesis? And if you can't make any, well, then you have no way to show that your hypothesis isn't just imaginary like anything else we could just randomly come up with in our imagination. But physics does make predictions, and that's why physics has a, we have a reason to believe it, whereas we don't for God. And that's, you're right, that's what makes it a God of the gaps, is that you're just inserting an imaginary hypothesis without providing actually new evidence. It's called um, post-hoc theorization, where you're just looking at the evidence and saying, well, I can explain this by coming up with this hypothesis. Anyone can do that for any theory. It's not evidence of anything. So what you're saying is that um, any evidence would have to be something that would actually um, be strong enough to not just be something that someone made up, but something so consistently so so consistent consistent in academic studies and all, all all sorts of studies in order for it to to be proven that some that to be real or not real. So, uh, in the case of God, uh, all all sorts of studies in science or philosophy has has have has come to a a consensus that that the universe. Uh, that the, the the creation that God creating the universe is un unnecessary. Yeah, essentially, I'd say that you need some way to differentiate imagination from reality, and the ways that we do that right now is science. Science is the most reliable way to differentiate imagination from reality. Um, it may not be the only way. You could definitely come up with other ways, and if they work, then you should be able to demonstrate them in a similar way that you do science and test them against other things and tell which are imaginary and which are not imaginary. So we can test any of the methodologies by saying can they differentiate between this hypothesis that we know is imaginary and this other one that we don't? And if it can't do that, then we know the methodology can't differentiate between imagination and reality. So we, since we know science does, that's a really good methodology to go with, even though it may not be the only one. And so, yeah, if, if you don't have a way to do that, if you don't have a way to differentiate imagination from reality, then there is no reason to think that your hypothesis isn't just imaginary which is essentially what the God hypothesis is, is that there isn't a way to differentiate imagination from reality in that hypothesis, which is why science has never found that to be a compelling answer that has ever worked in discovering anything in the world. And so we need that additional method to differentiate, or it's not really an explanation at all. Yeah, uh, then, uh, but to some degree, when it comes to being an absolute uh, truth, um, uh, science cannot uh, absolutely claim that there is no God out there, indifferent or sentient or, or someone that actually cares. 
Well, yeah, we can't say anything with absolute certainty other than, like, I think, therefore, I am. That's the only absolute certainty there is. But, again, since science is the best best, best method we have to differentiate imagination from reality, until you can present a different method, then anything else that you can hypothesize about that doesn't have a way to differentiate it, even if science can't enter it, it's just, well, we should think that's imaginary. So we can say science can't test for ghosts or whatever, well then we should conclude ghosts are imaginary until you have some additional method to test to see if ghosts are not imaginary. So until you can provide that secondary way to differentiate imagination from reality, then we should just conclude it's imaginary. Science gives us that and even though it may not be the only way, you would have to provide a different way until we were reasonable to conclude that something else wasn't. Okay, so you're saying something similar to the null hypothesis by hypothesis, right? That um in order for uh, simply being um, a lack of belief uh, doesn't have to mean that you have to prove that, that something doesn't exist. It's simply that you you disagree with any uh, positive argument that something exists, like God. Uh, well, it's not like exactly like the null hypothesis. The null hypothesis is just saying not whatever your hypothesis is. So that's perfectly fine. But it's more like what evidence is, is evidence can indicate one hypothesis over the other. And so it's not just arguments. Arguments don't work. They're not, they're not evidence for a hypothesis being true. What is evidence for a hypothesis being true is its ability to uh, tell us something about reality that we don't know yet. So if, if I say that my hypothesis is that, for example, the rat knocked over the cup and we can discover that there are bite marks on the cup and there's right droppings around the cup. That's something we didn't know yet. And so being able to predict that before we know it and then confirming it to be correct is good evidence that hypothesis is true. If you can't do that, if your theory can't make any future testable predictions or can't differentiate itself from being imaginary, then there's no reason to believe it, regardless of what the hypothesis is, whether it's testable or supernatural or natural or anything. You need some way to differentiate imagination from reality, and God doesn't have that. But science does. Yeah. So, um, then when it comes to science, uh, the, I I would think that um, you would have to explain some sort of um hard de determinism in terms of our actions and behaviors as human beings, right? Or are you an indeterminist? Uh, yeah, I'm a determinist in the sense that I agree that everything is either determined or random. Uh, so it's one of those two things. I don't think there's any libertarian free will. I, that's not a requirement of science. Like, there's definitely you could definitely have free will in a scientific worldview. So it's not required. It's just the conclusion based on the evidence. So, for example, if if uh, coming from a scientific perspective, and uh, as you said that coming uh, that science doesn't show any libertarian uh, free will, but uh, in terms of how you behave uh, or think right now, uh, do you do you think that you have some sort of of free will that you're you have inability to control the the outcome of your actions uh not in the religious sense no i don't think the field of neurology has pretty much shown that doesn't exist there is no such thing as free will everything you are is determined by your your genes and your experience so nature and nurture and those things control essentially what you're going to do before you do it and so there isn't any true free will there's no real freedom it's all just a limitation of how your brain develops and your brain's ability to process information. Yeah, but new ideas. not in terms of neuroscience, but in terms of simply your uh, your your intuition currently. That um, when you that even if you you might be uh, hard deterministic scientifically, when you act right now, for example, when you s choose to speak your words, um, you have you have you have a an illusion that you can you can control the outcome of what you will or you are gonna say. Uh, well, intuition isn't evidence of anything because, again, you have to have some way to differentiate. Is this idea I have real or imaginary? So saying I have intuition and that gives me a hypothesis that I have this free will thing is just imaginary. And then you need to go further than that and say, if it's true, here is some way that we can verify that that explanation isn't imaginary. And so that hypothesis doesn't work for the same reason that God doesn't or leprechauns don't or fairies or any other hypothesis that people just make up doesn't work because there's no way to show that it's true. It's just it's just a hypothesis. And so the difference is, is that science and neurology provide testable predictions that can show they're actually true. They can say if your brain is determined, then we will be able to 
hook you up to an fMRI machine and uh, read your brain and know what you're going to do before you do it. And when we test that, we find out that's exactly what happens. We can see what people are going to do before they do it by looking at their brain state in fMRI. Um, and we know that that is perfectly consistent with everything we've learned in neurology and psychology because when people's brains are damaged or they're electrically shocked or stimulated in a certain way, we can cause them to feel or think or not feel or think essentially anything we want. We know that the brain is essentially the origin of consciousness and by manipulating the brain we can manipulate the consciousness in any way. So there isn't a free will thing. It's mostly just your brain being determined by okay. things. Okay. Okay, but um, uh, uh, but uh, I want to ask, like, in terms of how you think right now, intuitively, uh, you you do you believe that you can control your actions? Again, how you think intuitively isn't evidence of anything. That's not it's not a thing. What matters is what is the evidence. Yeah, but I I understand I understand. But um, how you normally live right now, like you act, but knowing that you you might be de- it might be determined. So everything everything I do. Everything I do is exactly consistent with the scientific worldview. There's nothing about my worldview or my intuition that goes against mm-hmm. it at all. So, um, in terms of how you decide, um, what 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 is your basis for doing something? Except that you 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 know that you have some authority on the outcome. Um, I weigh the options, just like my brain is programmed to do by my biology. So I take here are the things that are benefits and here are the consequences and I try to assess them and then the one that the greater benefits is the action I decide to do. Okay, so um, I want to ask you this question then. For example, if you claim that um, intuition is, is not evidence, but for, uh, and it, it might, it, because it, uh, it might not be real, but and also I, I would ask, I, I could say the same with um, the scientific evidence, for example, that um, um, the reality itself might not be real, and that uh, everything we're, we're simply uh, interpreting and being given information, and uh, all are similar sim- similar ideas. We don't need absolute certainty, so we could be like in the matrix or something, but that doesn't matter. So intuition we know is false. We know it gets things wrong. Like people have intuitions about uh, when when it's going to rain, or or what caused the earthquake, or who who created uh, lightning. People have intuitions for all kinds of things, and we've proven them false, like all the time. We know human intuition just completely fails as a form of evidence. Um, we have no evidence to indicate reality is false. Like we don't, we don't have any evidence to indicate we're in a simulation or anything. It's possible, but all of the evidence indicates this is real, and that's the consensus in every scientific and philosophical field. And so we know intuition fails as a form of evidence, and we're 99% sure we're in reality and that science works. So those aren't comparable things. Like we can definitely show that intuition doesn't work. We know that for certain, and we're pretty certain science does work with like ninety nine point nine 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 percent certainty. Okay. Okay. So um. Okay. So let's say that um, it uh, the universe came out from a, a purely naturalistic uh, processes, but um, an, an atheist would claim that um, God would simply use naturalistic phenomenon to uh, create the universe. How would you uh, eliminate that? Uh, again, it's just a hypothesis. We could make up infinitely many ways to think how the universe was created. Maybe the universe was created by a giant pixie leprechaun, and that's how the universe was created. But why would we believe that? Well, there would need to be some kind of an evidence that indicates that hypothesis over the other hypotheses. Just being able to make up an explanation isn't evidence of anything. So we we compare the two, like compare what is what would theism, what are the predictions theism makes versus what are the predictions that science makes. Science explains things like what is the energy density of the universe, what is the energy of empty space, what is the Boltzmann equation, what are the constants of the universe. Those are things science can predict and get right. Theism doesn't predict any of that. Theism doesn't explain anything about the universe at all. And so we can say, this hypothesis in physics has lots and lots of evidence because it explains the data and makes predictions and gets them right, whereas theism doesn't do anything, it's just a made-up explanation. So the reason the God hypothesis isn't good isn't because it couldn't explain the data. I mean, you can make up anything to explain the data. The reason it's not evident, the reason it's not good is because it doesn't have evidence. You need something else other than just the ability to explain the data. Anyone can explain the data with anything. 
all the imaginary theories can explain the data. You need to go beyond that and show there's a reason to believe your relation isn't imaginary, and that's what evidence does. And I want to ask you also, in terms of morality, uh, I, 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 I think that um, you, you're more of a physicalist or a naturalist where there is no um, objective morality. Therefore, in a way, uh, morality for you would be subjective. No, I'm a moral realist, which means I believe in objective morality. Most philosophers are atheists, but most philosophers are also moral realists. So it's a really strange delusion. Uh, theists think that you need a god for objective morality. That's just false. Like no one, no one in academia accepts that. Uh, you need. There's lots of different possible bases for objective morality. It's not a solved problem. It's a thing we don't know what the answer is yet. But most the the consensus is it's not God. God does not work as a basis of objective morality. But there are many other things that do, like abstract objects, natural laws, moral realism. Um, there's lots of different ways to explain objective morality. We don't know which one is correct. God is the one that's like the least one of the least likely. It doesn't work at all. So I, I definitely believe in objective morals for sure. Okay. Um, can you uh, elaborate uh, the why you believe in objective morals? Uh, the same reason all philosophers do is that there are phenomena in the world that we can be that are explainable as this is morality. So we have moral intuitions and moral progress, and we see the society as a whole moving towards allowing more freedoms to each individual based on the limitations of resources we have. We try to give as many people as many freedoms as we can based on the resources, and over time, societies seem to be doing more moral things and giving more people more freedoms as much as possible. So there's lots of different ways to look at the evidence of how society is getting better and how our moral intuitions perceive uh, things. That's the basis of what we think of the phenomenon of morality. And then we see, can we explain that using different kinds of hypotheses and then do those hypotheses make testable predictions? And we can look to see if we can confirm those. And that's why we believe in objective morality. Yeah, what, what, what you just told me is more of a pluralistic sort of form of evidence like for example moral intuition then you explain another that that needs a, a, a different uh, epistemological framework which is um, moral progress and also um, you mentioned that um, well-being and utilitarianism has been the, the, the common goal of humanity but I, I could present some some disagreements with them but uh, I just want I want to know like um, how does it work the, this uh, objective this ob uh, objective morals that you that you believe in how does it work uh, would the world be better without rape yes so if you can say here's a world with rape here's a world without rape this one's better we should that one's more moral so we can just assess the ways the world could be and say this one's better okay but then um, you could uh, explain a way that. Uh, but you could um, explain away your the hierarchy that you just presented. For example, uh, why is it better? And you could you could and the only explanation. Well, it doesn't explain away anything. Like, that's just you're just questioning if it's true. But that doesn't explain it away. So the, the knowing the basis that this world is clearly better gives us the thing there is an objective morality, and then we have to theorize the different bases of it. And there's different possibilities of what can ground it. Um, moral law is one where it's just an undiscovered law of nature. That's a way to ground objective morality if you're asking for what to ground it. Another is an abstract ideal, like a perfect triangle. You say, there's no such thing as a perfect triangle anywhere in the world, but we can use the idea of a perfect triangle to try and get as close as possible. For example, if we tried to like draw a perfect triangle, if you zoom in on the lines on the piece of paper, the electrons are all going in bubble shape, so you'll never be able to draw a perfectly straight line. So it's impossible to get a perfectly straight triangle in this universe. But we can still think there's, well, here's the idea of a perfectly straight triangle. And we can use that as a goal to try and get as close as possible. And morality can be like that, where there's this abstract ideal of perfection, and we can try to get close to it. So uh, another option would be a platonic form. That would be another possible ground of objective morality. Um, there's lots of different ways that it could be. We don't have a solution yet, but again, God is not a solution. God does not work. Mm -hmm. So... Uh... I am still confused. Um, you present uh, many different um, evidence for uh, moral absolutes, but you, you don't claim sing a single one. It, it, it's really uh, confusing because when you mention platonic uh, forms, 
uh, that that would lead to many different uh, conclusions. So I feel that there's an inco- a, a huge incoherence when it comes to your own personal worldview, and that you simply attach yourself to uh, whatever seems um, academically uh, true. But in that's, terms that's of that's how science works. So, for example, when we're trying to explain how the universe came into existence, there's lots of different theories: the many worlds hypothesis, the multiverse hypothesis, the the string theory interpretation. So there's something we don't know, and there's many different things that could explain it. We don't know which one is right yet. Morality is the exact same, like any scientific unknown. There's lots of different things that could explain it. We don't know which one is right yet. I have a personal hypothesis about that. We don't know. We don't even confirmed it. It's just an unknown. So essentially you're making the classical god of the gaps argument. Well, you don't have a concrete explanation to explain this unknown. Like, you're right. There's lots of things we don't know yet. But in order to have an explanation, you can't say God did it. You need to have evidence to show your explanation isn't imaginary. We don't have that yet. We don't have a solution to objective morality, just like we don't have a solution to what caused the universe. There are lots of different hypotheses and lots of different ways to explain it, and they all have different levels of reasonability. But that's how good science is done. As you say, there's lots of different ways to explain this. How do we test the different hypotheses? Um, God did it isn't an explanation at all. Yeah, but I, I didn't say that God did it. You just, uh, but um, I was I was just asking how your objective morality works, and I, I think that you said that um, we still have no solution to objective morality. So in in some way, you you simply having confidence in the in the evidence that you you've been that you have received, right? Again, it's exactly the same as any other scientific discovery. Like we don't know how the universe came into be, but the universe is clearly here. So not knowing how the universe came into be doesn't stop us from believing the universe is a thing that exists. Yeah, um, I, I we, definitely we, agree. But um, when it comes to objective morality, that um, uh, you you haven't fa- found any solution to that to objective mor- morality. So in some way you're simply having uh, confidence in the sufficient evidence that you have. I, I don't understand what you're saying. Again, all science works that way. There's there's always things we don't know, and we use the best evidence we have to come up with hypotheses and then try to find out which one is real, which is this, everything in science. And the same thing applies to morality. I definitely I, agree. Uh, but, but for example, um, for science to actually be proven as a law, it, in some way, it's still a theory, but it, I, I'm not saying that just because it's a theory, it, it couldn't be real. It, it could be a model or a paradigm to be used in in a in a scenario. But what I mean is that um, when you claim to have objective morality, you also uh, you also have to uh, clarify that you still cannot prove it to be scientifically uh, true and coherent to everything that you believe. Uh... We have evidence for it. We can't prove anything with absolute certainty. So everything in science before we've discovered it is an unknown, and we have hypotheses to explain those. So hypotheses are, again, just ways we've come up with to explain the data. We don't know if they're true or not yet. And then we make predictions to try and confirm if they're true. So right now we're just at the hypothesis point of morality, just like we are for dark energy and dark matter and consciousness and all kinds of things in the world. And then... Whichever one makes the testable predictions is the one that's true. And so we're going to solve objective morality. It's going to be solved sometime, and it's going to be a natural solution to it. We just don't know which one is the correct one yet, just like we don't for dark energy and dark matter. Yeah, okay. I, I completely agree that um, science, uh, sim- uh, you can you have to um, draw conclusions from science. And But um, what I want to ask then, uh, if objective morality is... Ha- still has to be solved uh, in 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 one sense or another uh, when you act uh, based on the these unproven objective morals that you the claim you have you you act as if it it is you are, have the confidence that it is true again that's also how science works so for example Newtonian mechanics f equals ma Newton acted as if that was true because it made testable predictions, even though it wasn't. Like Einstein's E equals MC squared was actually correct, and, and Newton got it wrong. F equals MA, he got wrong. But he acted as if it was correct, because that was the best evidence he had at the time. All science works on like that process. So here's the best evidence we have. We try to make a conclusion and work with that hypothesis, because it has the most support. Like 
that's how all science works. Okay, so what you're saying is that it could be scientific, but it could actually ultimately be wrong, right? For example, as as you said, that he you use what scientific evidence suggests, but um, it could be proven later on to be false. Yeah, everything in science is tentative and provisional. It could always be proven false later. That's just there's no absolute certainty in science. Okay, so it means that uh, that um, whatever objective morals that you have that you have right now, it could be proven to be false later on. Yeah, and it could be proven that there's a square circle like living in my basement. It's just not likely. So, the the fact that things could be wrong doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Like everything could be wrong. It could be you could be wrong about a god. You could be wrong about anything. It's, there's no way you can prove anything ever, no matter what, except that you exist. Like that's the only thing that you can ever be certain about, ever. Um, so, it doesn't, so the fact that morality we don't have any certainty about it doesn't make a difference any more than the fact that we don't have certainty that the sun is going to rise tomorrow. Could the sun not rise tomorrow? Uh, maybe it's going to blow up. That's possible, but it doesn't make a difference. We can still believe the sun's going to rise tomorrow and be justified in that belief because we have evidence. So, uh, in some way, there's there's this uh, scientific faith on 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 what the evidence concludes, right? Because uh, it, no, it, it might be induction. it might be false. It might be false in the end. But you're gonna have to still continue to use it because it's the best evidence you have. No, it's not faith. Like if I pick up my cup and and drop it, I'm I have good evidence to believe it's gonna fall. It's, I don't have faith it's gonna fall. I like I, I know how gravity works. I know how physics works. Is I can reasonably conclude it's gonna fall. Saying that well, it's just faith. It doesn't make any sense because I, there's there's no faith here. It's just it's all based on evidence. Faith is a belief without evidence. You're just using your imaginary hypotheses to come up with explanations that you don't know if they're true or not. But saying the cup will fall isn't imaginary because we've already demonstrated it's real. We, we can test, we can make novel tests and predictions, we can verify it, we can show it's not imaginary hypotheses. So it's not based on faith. Science isn't based on faith. It's based on induction. Um, but uh, for example, as you said that um, um, you, have, you, ha you trust that the cup will fall because of, you know how gravity works. But for example, Knowing the theories, uh, the theories on on how gravity works, uh, because of scientific evidence, it could be later on to be proven uh, false. The the current theories of gravity, but it, so in a way that you you have a certain faith in 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 the current scientific evidence. No, because even if like a new theory came along to explain gravity, the cup is still going to fall. It's not like a new theory of gravity is going to make the cup not fall. The cup falls because it's a part of the regularities of nature. Um, it, it's the changing the theories doesn't do anything. All it does is change the explanation of the data. The data in reality stays the same regardless. So the cup is going to fall. I don't have any. I don't need faith for the cup being falling. Uh, and I don't need faith for science because science doesn't claim to be absolutely certain. It's just this is the best explanation of the data. This is what is reasonable to conclude. I, I definitely agree. Uh, therefore, then, for example, um, when it comes to the explanation of the universe, uh, scientific uh, evidence suggests that um, there there could be no God, but simply that um, the we are basing our knowledge on on the current uh, scientific evidence. Therefore, the the current explanation for the the universe, the existence of the universe, are purely naturalistic phenomenon or processes um sort of so every hypothesis again any idea any explanation you come up with you need a way to differentiate is this imaginary or is this real and so you need some way to provide evidence it's not imaginary otherwise it's just imaginary so we can always come up with lots of different explanations and they're all imaginary every explanation we come up with is imaginary until demonstrated otherwise until you can say here is a reason to believe this explanation isn't imaginary then it's imaginary you got no evidence for it and so God is in that category. God is in the its imaginary category. If you can provide evidence, then it may get out of that category. Science right now has evidence. So science isn't in that category. Science is in the not imaginary category, in the reality one. And could you potentially get evidence for God? Sure. Like if you could, if I could pray to a God for a gold brick and a gold brick would appear to in front of me every single time, that would be good evidence for God. Then I would believe in the God. 
but all of the evidence we've looked for has failed completely, so it's reasonable to conclude that's imaginary. Uh, forgive me for uh, rep repeating all this. I'm just trying to uh, wrap my, my mind around this, and um, it's really uh, awesome to uh, talk to you about this. Yeah, and so, um, okay, so, um, so when it comes to scientific uh, conclusions, it, that's different from being absolutely true. Uh, but in a way, to live it, to live your life based on science, you you have an understanding that you might be ultimately wrong as well. Well, that comes from philosophy. We know that we can't ever be certain about anything in any worldview. It doesn't matter if there is a god; you still can't be certain. So, that had, that isn't about science. Science just admits that there's we can only have degrees of certainty. So we can only get close to certainty, but we can never get certainty, and that's not a problem. You can still have knowledge without certainty. You don't need it. You don't need certainty for anything. So. So I so I'm I'm I I'm come to understand that um as you said any worldview even the scientific worldview uh might not be uh well it might not be uh have might ha might not have absolute certainty and so uh, but but to live scientifically um it's is better than to live with having faith on things that can be proven temporarily by science to to be untrue, right? Uh, well, science can't prove anything to be untrue. Science doesn't do that. Science only supports the things that we can reasonably conclude are true. So, for example, like what knocked over the cup? Maybe it was a rat or whatever. Well, maybe it was actually just a magical pixie that that put the droppings there to make it look like it was a rat. And the pack, the magical pixie is trying to deceive us and putting the evidence there. You can always take the evidence and make it fit your preferred explanation, but the only one that's reasonable to believe, the one that's reasonable to accept is true, is the one that can make future testable predictions, the one that can show it's not imaginary. So you can never prove something false or prove something true. It's always which explanation can we use to tell us something about the world that we didn't know yet. That one is the one that we have, we can, we have reason to believe, always. So it, it's, uh, so I, I completely agree that um, that should, that's how science should work and that, that's how science is supposed to work. Okay, so, but then uh, I, th I, I really uh, like how you uh, always come back to science because um, that, me that I would uh, actually um, agree that in a way um, you find that science is the best uh, the best approach to finding knowledge in here in this reality right mm -hmm. okay okay but also because sci scientific evidence might not be certain and just it, it it's much more closer to certainty compared to other uh, fallible and wrong uh, explanations, then I guess that in terms of how we, we should run our society, we should definitely run it scientifically. Also, especially in our lives as well, because uh, the closer, the science is the best approach we have to to being closer to the truth. Yeah, we should always make decisions in everything in life based off of what the best evidence is, and the best evidence we have is science for every belief we have, always. Yeah, okay. I, I, and also, um, I want to uh, go to uh, the politics of it because um, I'm really interested in, in what, what someone who is purely scientific can conclude when it comes to how politics should, should be. So, um, in terms of politics, uh, are you are you open to uh, talking about it? Okay, okay. So one question then: Trump or Biden? Uh, they're both awful. Um, Trump is probably more awful, so I'd probably go with Biden. But I'm I've never voted because I don't think any of the political candidates were good. I think they're all idiots. So Biden is terrible. Trump is just worse. So then uh, it seems to me that um, America has a system of electing people that nobody wants in office or or is it just me <laughs> yeah the american system is completely garbage it's designed for the people in power to stay in power so it's the, essentially the two-party system is a product of manipulation for example the voting system we have is the first past the post meaning whoever gets the most votes wins 
which is a really bad system because it means that if you vote for like a third party candidate uh, or the independent or whatever, your vote is wasted. It's not counted in the election. You only count the ones that go to whoever's the two big candidates, the two who are closest to winning. So, for example, if you have 10 candidates and um, eight of them get 5% of the vote and the other two get whatever, however much that is, like 60-something percent of the vote, uh, the ones, the two who get 60%, only those 60% of votes are counted. The other, the other ones who got 5%, all those votes are never going to be counted in the election. They just disappear. And so that system means that if you vote for a third-party candidate, your vote isn't going to be counted in the ultimate election, which makes it a really bad system, uh, as opposed to something like single transferable vote, which, which is where you rate the people who you want to vote for. For example, I want uh, Biden first, then Bernie Sanders second, then Trump third or whatever. If Biden doesn't get enough votes to win, then the, my vote will then transfer down to Bernie Sanders, then Bernie Sanders will get my vote. And so in the single transferable vote system, every single person who votes, their vote will be counted in the election. Whereas right now, if you vote for a third party candidate, your vote just goes away into nothingness. And the reason that we have the first-past-the-post system is because it endorses the two systems, the two political parties we have now. It keeps them in power. If you have a third-party system, or a system that can allow for a third party, it takes power away from the two big parties who are in power right now, and they don't want that. So the way our government is designed is specifically to make sure that those people stay in power against the interests of the people, which is really bad. So that that I, I, I can see that um, people are simply vote, both voting on winnability and choosing the lesser evil candidate. Yep, exactly, and that is a really bad way to do things. Mm -hmm. Okay, then um, being a scientist and uh, play, um, finding uh, inductive re or deductive reasons to, to solutions to social societal problems. What do, you, do you, what do you think is the best way to uh, solve solve this uh, American crisis? Um, well, the best way to solve it would be to make government work the way it should. Like, um, you know, the purpose of government is like uh, zookeeping, like in, in, a, in a zoo for animals. It provides a shelter for people to act and protect in protecting their habitats from threats inside and outside so they can just live their lives as best as possible. And in order to provide that kind of a zoo, you need money to build like walls and to provide food for all the animals. And so you need some kind of a economic security where people spend their money and are willing to live there in your zoo, essentially. And that's essentially the purpose of governments, to provide a zoo for the people who live in it so they can live and be unaffected by other people trying to hunt them or other animals killing them, lions eating the gazelles or whatever. And knowing that that's the purpose of the government, you have to look at the two systems, the conservative system and the liberal system, and what their motivations are. Like the the two parties are built around the values of stability and improvement. So conservative policies are policies that we had in the past that got us to where we are today. Like the Founding Fathers had these specific policies they enacted, and that those policies worked to build a, an effective government that survived. Um, whereas it's most governments are going to self-destruct. Like if you have two strict policies, then your society is going to destroy itself, like the Roman Empire and many other empires in the past. So it's really, really hard to make a system of government that's going to be self-sustaining. And so conservatives look at the thing that got us to where we are and say, well, here's the policies that we had in the past that kept us alive. And if we make any changes, it's really, really risky because any of the changes we make could just destroy and self-collapse our economy. So we should just stick with the past ones and conserve the success we've had in the past. And so that's the, the foundation of the conservative ideology is to look at the past things that have worked and say it's really risky to change anything, let's just keep everything the way it is. And then the liberal ideology is the opposite of that, saying here's the way things are, but we can make them better, so we should start changing things as much as possible, and specifically like helping other people as much as possible, providing health care, insurance, social security, education, all this kind of stuff, saying here's how we can improve society. Um, and those kinds of changes are very risky because if you do too much of it, if you give too much money away, then the government can't afford to keep itself alive and it collapses and self-destructs like the Roman Empire or other socialist uh, countries that tried to do the same thing. 
it's so it's it's really risky to make changes but you definitely don't want everything to stay the same and so you have to find some kind of a balance between this conservative ideology of using the policies from the past that we know work and maintaining those while being able to test out new policies and controlled environments to see if they can work and then applying those new policies that do work into our government as a whole and finding a balance between those two things is the key to what makes a really good government. Um, the best way to do that is to learn from the mistakes of others. So we look at other countries from around the world say here's the policies they've enacted that have succeeded we should copy those policies. So uh, that's one thing that our government does really really badly we can look at lots of different countries who do things really, really better than us. We can just measure it on lots of different statistics, which is something we have now that's really useful but isn't very utilized. So we can look at education systems, say Finland's edu education system and Japan's education system are really, really good. We should be copying them. Or the healthcare systems in, in all these countries are really, really good. We should be copying them. And that's what government should be doing. It should be looking at other countries saying these policies work really well. We need to copy these policies and make our country better. Um, but our, of course that's not how our politicalism works because the people in power have vested interests in ideologies they want to support their ideology and not they're not looking at what's best for us in the long run they're looking at what they they like essentially and that's the biggest problem with politics today is that they're not doing it scientifically they're not saying well here's what has the best proven results in all of the governments around the world we'll, we'll use that they're just saying here's what I believe based on my past beliefs and we're just going to go with that and so the good government is going to be adopting these policies that other governments have been used and been proven to have successful track records regardless of what the personal beliefs of the people in the government are and right now it's the opposite where the personal beliefs of the people in government determine what policies are going to enact based on their biases not based off of the results around the world uh, specifically the, the Republican parties put it in an initiative where Early on, people would use think tanks in order to find data to support policies to say, here's the evidence that these policies work and we'll enact those policies. But more recently, the Republican Party has gone against that and they start with their conclusion and try and find uh, supporting evidence that will support their conclusion, which is completely backwards. And that's one of the biggest problems with the way politics is right now. Um, the tricky part with a government is you have to find some kind of a moral strategy, a moral framework to determine who not to help because we don't have infinite money so there's going to be we can't help everyone we can't just give everyone free health care and free education because if we do the government will destroy itself it'll be collapsed and so there's a, a limit to the people we can help there are some some group of people who have to determine these they're dead weight we can't help them you're on your own and we're not going to do anything for you and even though that's horribly immoral and cruel and it would be better if we could just help everyone we don't pragmatically have the option to do so and so you need a government who's willing to say, here are the the dead weight of society that we can't help and just be cold enough to say we're not going to do anything about them. We're just going to let them, let them go off on their own and whatever happens, happens. And that's something that the liberal ideology doesn't do very well because they want to help everybody and they overextend and spend way too much money to do it, causing the collapse of the economy. And that's So finding a moral framework to be willing to help other people and to try and help as many people as possible given our limitations which is what the conservatives don't do conservatives don't help as many people as possible they just don't want to stick with the working government and then balancing that with the liberal government of uh, helping as many people as possible but not overextend the amount of assistance we can give that balance is key to just, to a really good government and we just don't have that yet that's that's that would be a scientific way to approach how to do government. Look at the policies, how they're enacted on other countries, and find out, based on our, our resources, how many people can we help, and then to help as many as possible and use some moral framework to determine where the cutoff point is, that here's the people who we can't help. Um, that would be the way to scientifically approach government. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then it, it would seem to me that um, it, the... The, the current two-party two system of the American government is going to be around for a very long time and uh, I don't know, you, you might never actually transition into a multi-party system. Yeah, it's definitely possible. I think that 
uh, we can see a decrease in the Republican Party. Uh, it's going down in popularity, and it has been for a while. And we can see an increase in the the popularity of the Democratic Party. And so, and the Democratic Party has more an interest in allowing a third party system because the Republican Party is losing power. And so, having a third party system would actually make it better for the Democrats. And so, we're probably going to see it soon. Like, not within the next 20 to 50 years, we'll probably see all of these changes starting to move in the liberal direction as liberalism becomes more popular, um, which is naturally going to occur. Like when we see it in younger generations, it becomes more and more liberal because of how moral progress works. And the conservatives become less and less popular, especially given our abundant resources. So it's going to happen. Like we, we know liberals are going to win in the end as long as there's no catastrophe economically uh, early on. So we're, we're, we're going to get there. I just don't know it's when it's going to happen. Okay, okay. Yeah, and um, you mentioned flat Earth. You talked to flat Earth scientists uh, in your YouTube show, and I just want to ask, like, um, if you pr wanted wanted to present on uh, one cer certain proof that the Earth is 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 not flat, what would you tell them? We can literally go to space and see it. That's that's the one proof. Okay. Okay. I mean, they, they're not going to believe it. They're going to say it's some kind of conspiracy. No one's been to space, uh, but that that is the the most definitive proof we can just go to space and see it. Um, okay, so so that's uh, we can do here on Earth. I, I think I have a theory that all flat Earth scientists secretly simply just want to go to space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, in, in like twenty years, we we'll just start sending them to space. There's a flat Earther. I'll send them to space. It's like, yeah, I'll be like, you know what? I think that flat Earth theory that sounds pretty good. You should send me to space too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyways, um, uh, this has been a great conversation, uh, Tom. And I, I want to ask you one last, last question. Um, it, knowing that science is the best, uh, best approach we can take to help society become a, a, something closer to a utopia, maybe. Um, uh, as an individual, what would be the best way to make this world a better place or... Just make a good difference, even you're in your own personal way. Um, there's lots of things. I mean, I think veganism is a good way to go. You can just stop eating meat because I think it's cruel to eat animals. Um, and that's a good way you could improve society. Another would be to help people in need as much as possible, give to charities, um, especially like people who are mentally depressed, like understanding, being more understanding of people who have different mental experiences than you is a real huge thing that you can do in society. Just being more accepting to other people who are different from you is, a, is something that most people can do. Those would be probably the biggest things is help people in need, don't eat meat, and be more accepting and understanding and willing to help people who have different mental under, mental uh, experiences than you do, like even transgenderism, uh, depression, social anxiety, those kinds of things, being understanding and willing to help them go out of your way to go outside of your value system to help them would be the best things you could do as an individual to benefit our society. So that's the end of it. Thanks for tuning in, guys. This is your host, Elmo Ador Jr. And thank you for listening in. And please subscribe. Please follow us on Facebook. Please, please follow this. Please. Thanks. Thank you.